Welcome all. My name is Rob Catalani, and I am the pastor of Browncroft Community Church, and I am starting today uh, a podcast called The Conversation, which is an opportunity for me to talk to interesting people, people who I think are uh, making a difference in our world today, about a very interesting subject, which is, of course, life in the coronavirus that we're all living in. And today... Um, my first interesting person is Lori Van Dusen. Hello, Lori. Welcome to the conversation. Thank I'm you. so grateful for you to be here. Uh, so you are kind of our first little bit of a victim, hopefully not. <laughs> uh, but thank you for being here today. But let me um, tell you a little bit about Lori. Some of you listening would know who she is if you know anything about the uh, financial services world in general, but even even if you're in from Rochester. But Lori is the founder and CEO of LVW Advisors, which is almost 10 years old, I guess, 2011. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's in Pittsburgh, New York. But it's an investment firm that does works with uh, families, I suppose, mostly uh, wealthy families, individuals, but also nonprofit institutions throughout the US. Lori has been doing that for 10 years, but has really been in this business, financial services, maybe that's the way to say it, for 30 years, or probably close to 30 years, and has a, uh, a long and uh, experienced career most i suppose i'm i'm you can correct me lori in new york city so i'll do the quick rundown what i know shearson lehman citigroup smith barney um uh, to name a few so she's done and still does a lot of her work in new york city she has a lot of accolades as well to those of you who know this world named to baron's advisor hall of fame She's been the Forbes Best in State Wealth Advisors just today, uh, whatever day we're uh, doing this, the 21st of April. She was ranked number fifth Forbes 2020 Top Women uh, Advisors, which congratulations. That's uh, a great um, accolade to you as well. She was recently recognized, some of you may know this, at RBJ's Rochester Business Journal's 2020 Women of Excellence. Congratulations. That was not very long ago. And she served or has served on a number of prestigious boards in town. Thompson Health, which is part of UR Memorial Art Gallery. I think UR Medicine at one point. And we were just talking uh, offline about Monroe Community College. So she not only is a woman who's involved or a person involved in the investment industry in in Rochester or really in this uh, in in New York City and in in this country, but she's she's I don't know we'll get to it today, but has a lot to um, she's got a lot of involvement in in the city of Rochester, which I care about, which many of you care about. So she she knows this city well and has a lot of influence. So I want to in the time we have, Lori. Um, first, I should say that I know Lori and her husband Ron friends of mine for a number of years. So thank you for, for being here. And, and I probably know some things over, you know, over a glass of wine or dinner, but I'm sure I, I don't know everything there is to know about <laughs> you. So I, I, I so enjoy this and look forward to it. And, and, and because our time is limited, I do want to talk some about your personal life. So we'll see how that goes, but I want to start um, our time with a philosophical question and then we'll kind of work our way in. Okay. And it's because it's a question that I'm really interested in. And that is, you know, is what we're going through now, and I'm asking you this partly as you look through the lens of your profession, right? But you, you, you know, you, you have a lot of lenses. You're a mom, you're a professional, you're, 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 you're a citizen of this great city. But even as you look through the, you know, the financial services industry, is what we're going through right now in your mind, 
an episode, right? I mean, an episode of change, you know, like we're, we're living through, you know, a, a, an episode, or is it a transformational moment in the way that you understand either financial services? In other words, are things going to be different? You know, I mean, there's so much out there, right? You know, I mean, everyone and their brothers telling you about it's either the end of the world or it's, or it's not. Mm-hmm. But, the, you know, you've lived through a number of episodes in your, even in the last, let's say, 25 to 30 years. Is this just something we need to white knuckle our way through? Is it going to be a bump? Is it an episode to endure? Or is it a transformational moment um, in, in the world we're living in? What do you think? It's a great question. It's a complicated one. Um, I was listening to your sermon on Sunday. And I don't know if you said this. It's just something that I might have said to myself that you kind of, you know, you you stirred. And I thought this could be like, you know, it was the Great Recession, the Great Financial Crisis in 2008. This could be the Great Reset. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if you said that or alluded mm-hmm. to it, but I remember thinking, is that what this is? I don't think anybody knows the answer to, right. to your question. But I will say um, I've— lived through and been advising people through, I don't know how many, six recessions, crises. Um, everyone is different. This is really different. Mm. And it's um, it's pretty painful because <clears throat> there's never been a health crisis that's turned into an economic crisis that could have also been a financial crisis, which I think is 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 largely been uh, forestalled by the Federal Reserve and the government, but it's um, it's uh, something none of us have navigated, where the economy just stops and mm. people are suffering both from a health perspective, right? But people are suffering economically, um, and it's very broad based, mm. and so none of us have ever lived through that, and none of us have, in our profession, advised people through a period that's so opaque. You know, like when is it going to end? And it's pretty becoming more and more clear that the economy is going to have some kind of a rolling open, mm-hmm. and it's not going to just be like normal. Right. There's going to be some new normal. Mm-hmm. Would be my best judgment. And there right. always is, by the way, a new normal. And there are always paradigm shifts and things that come out of all of these crises, recessions. And there are definitely those things that seem like they're they they were maybe happening, but now there are trends that are firmly entrenched, and then there are going to be some new things that we can only, you know, imagine. So, so would you say, um, I know you were in this industry in, in 9-11, and you, of course, were in the whatever we're calling 2008. I don't even know if there's a name for that. but Great financial crisis, great I think, financial or crisis. the great, yeah, the GFC or something. Okay, I didn't even yeah. know that. All right, yeah. so you live through, the, are, is this analogous, same, better, worse? What do you think? Um. In some ways, there are always analogies from past experiences and things that you can learn. Um, 9-11 was, for me personally, horrific because I started my career in the World Trade Center in in, um, the South Tower. And I was there a lot of times Mm -hmm. over my career. And so at the time that it happened, I knew people in those buildings. I knew people... In Battery Park City, I knew people, you know, that got out of those buildings. I knew people that didn't. Were you in New York that morning? I was not. Um, I was there in the first bombing. 93? Yes. 
um, you know, I, I was in New York that day. Mm. Um, I wasn't in the building, but I, I could, for me, it was a very real experience. And I think for a lot of people, it was surreal mm. or it was horrific, but they couldn't really, they didn't really feel it the way you would have if you knew where, how those floors were set up, what the elevators were like, um, if you had looked out the windows, if you could visualize, you know, mm. working there. And, and then, you know, the, that was just such a, for me as a, as a human and as a Christian, that was one of the most emotional things wow. that I have ever mm. been through. You know, people emailing me because you weren't texting them saying they were walking to Midtown. Mm. And you can hear the emotion in my voice because I'm still, I, it's a, wow. that was a, um, Horrible yeah. experience. Um, I think in some ways the sense of isolation that occurred right after that where people didn't go out and they didn't um, for a while, you know, do the same things. I mean, some of that, especially yeah. in New York City, right. some of that is maybe analogous. Um, right. I think 2008 was largely, was, was awful, but it was largely confined to the financial sector and housing. It wasn't right. broad-based like this. Right. Um, but the one thing that I've learned from all of these things is this too shall pass and right. we will come out of it and we will have learned things from it um, so that when the next crisis occurs, we can apply those things. For example, the, the, the speed at which the Federal Reserve has acted, the speed at which there has been intervention, that's a playbook from the past. Mm. So, so you kind of got into my one of my other questions, which is if you had to give a grade to, I'm not talking about you know Republican, Democrat, or President Trump, I don't want to necessarily get into all that, but I mean, the response of the of the government, you're, you'd say pretty good? I'd say very good, good. I, but I would say there's always um, hazard created mm. by these kinds of things that you can't Again, it's something you can't know right now. I spend a lot of time thinking about it. Mm -hmm. You know, should we try to bail out everyone, even people that had very poor business models or right. did really irresponsible things with that? Right. I think the answer is no to that. But right. but but we can't right now. What we have to do is try to get people back to work and mm -hmm. for a short period of time give them help. And mm -hmm. and it's you know no one's. You know, to say, okay, it's no one's fault. Of course it's no one's fault. Right. But but there are um, people who misused leverage and um, use this kind of period we've had of very low interest rates right. um, to build business models that weren't sustainable no matter what the crisis was or what the tipping point was. Right. And, and Which is right, what the 2008 thing was all about too, right? Exactly. Right. And it's kind of like, you know, Frustrating in a way that um, when you looked at the first part of the sell-off in the markets, it was all about all that leverage being unwound, mm. and everyone suffered, including us. And and so mm. we could sit here and say, you know, that's not very fair. You know, right. those people. You know, everybody got unwound. I mean, I've I've rarely seen market. I've never seen as fast of a. a bear market as we had, we are in one, but as fast as that happened, I've never seen things unwind that fast, the good and the bad, mm. because people were selling whatever they could mm. because they were getting margin calls or whatever, and right. all of it was related to this debt. So that debt was there, right. and it, it could have been anything that created Tip a tipping point. Right. Um, but, but I do think that the Federal Reserve and the government um, 
are doing what they have to do right now. I think the one thing that's really different about this is that in 2008, the world was coordinated around that crisis. We are not coordinated around this crisis. Mm. So hmm. I think that's- Because that's, it's bigger? Um, or because it's- I think because it's a, it's been a, a, a the way the information has come out, oh. um, the way it has impacted different countries and economies, the timing of it, the misinformation. Okay. And part of it is- um, there's a lot of populism in the world and there's a lot of, you know, which I, I hope the Great Reset is, and I'm worried that I'm worried that this isn't going to be the case. I guess worry is not the right way to characterize it, but I guess we have been everyone for themselves for yeah. a while here. Right. And I think that that's playing out in some of the rhetoric and some of the things that we've heard mm -hmm. and also in um, how countries are responding yeah. or not, Italy versus Germany. I think there'll be some interesting paradigm shifts which were already in place around investing around supply mm. chains and who's with whom. Right. So maybe maybe Trump is right about NAFTA. It's right. maybe antiquated. You know, right. there are all these things that are coming out of this. You yeah. know, will Italy be more like more more akin to or more open to being aligned with China? Um, it's pretty clear that Germany and the UK will kind of align with the US and Canada. You know, all of these things were mm. kind of occurring and now um, seem to be accelerating. Mm. It's all kinds of uh, right. things that are coming out of this that were right. kind of in place. So, right. In a lot of ways, it can be, I'm guessing, uh, you're suggesting too, crises like this can be a catalyst even for either advancing things that were already moving at a slower speed. Right. Right. And or advancing things that needed to happen that wouldn't happen. Like the, 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 the common metaphor I've been using all the time, which you would be familiar with, is telemedicine. Right. Oh, I mean, yeah. That's a small, but, you know, I've heard so many people say to me who's in the medical field that, you know, even you are has been has been talking about it forever and a day. It's sort of on the back burner and overnight they're doing it. And and because they've been forced to do that. And maybe in some ways, doesn't mean people are going to go to the doctors anymore, but in some ways, they'll never look back. It will have a percentage of the way Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I'm on the University of Rochester, the medical center board, and, and we had, you know, our first call. I'm on the quality of care committee too there. So it was so interesting. The volume of telemedicine went from next to nothing in February right. to, I don't know what the statistics are, but they're, right. they're crazy. And, and the regulatory kind of relief around it mm. um, came into play because it had to. Right. And there are all other kinds of things, like you think about all this technology around robotics and around um, liquid biopsies, all this stuff that's less invasive, I right. think, is a shift that's been occurring, but will right. accelerate, right. you know, so. Um, so I want to, I have, I want to dump dive into the personal, but I have one more question that, I'm, that I want to know the answer to. So, I mean, this is a professional question or economy question. Maybe this is a short question, which is. What's happening now when you look at the, I mean, I hear all kinds of predictions. I won't even get into them. You know them better, but I mean, you know, from it, this is the end of the world to it's, 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 a, it's a short, you know, we'll get through this and everything in between. But my question is, whatever, you know, some industries that may go away, I just read an article yesterday that said, you know, in, the, in New York City, you're, you're one of your favorite places that, you know, they're already saying, you know, Broadway and restaurants and you know, they had a list of things that they already know are, are going to take 
three times as long. And once you stop something, this is what the article is saying, it's X times harder to restart, restart it. it. Right? Now, those are, I would even consider those relatively small parts of the economy, right? The Broadway and restaurants. And then so, but my question is this, that, but that's a good example is whatever's happening today, however bad this is in our economy, would you say the coronavirus is actually, you know, has, has damaged the economy in some real way, right? Which we know it has, but I mean, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a collision. A, a, a meteor has hit the building or the coronavirus has simply exposed vulnerabilities in the economy. Um, and, and part of what we're experiencing is simply, you know, almost like you were saying in 2008, these things were there. Which one of those is true or percentage wise, in your opinion? I would be more inclined to, to lean towards the latter. Okay. Um, I do think there were vulnerabilities and things that probably we didn't even realize were weaknesses that, that, you know, health policy, health policy needs to change in some way, shape or form, you know, out of all of this, there will be another pandemic, like there will be another virus. And, you know, I've read, um, and again, I'm not a medical expert, but, you know, you start reading all of this stuff when you're, you know, in the middle of all this and trying to advise people. And, you know, I think in the United States, we were preparing for, an influenza-based kind of pandemic for 15 years, not a coronavirus. You know why? I don't. I don't know the answer to that. Um, the way we get information, how we screen people, all of those things are probably um, enduring. You know, there are enduring changes mm-hmm. around all of this that will avoid a total economic stop the next mm-hmm. time around. You know, could an economic stop like this been have been avoided? Probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Probably with different health policy, different information, mm-hmm. different kinds of testing, um, different technology, whatever it is, I, I, I'm sure there are answers to that. Yeah. You know, and I think getting back to your kind of first question, we'll learn something out of this right. and we'll be better for the next time around. Right. 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 So now let me let me get into I know you as not only my friend, but as a a follower of Jesus and um which probably doesn't come up an awful lot on your Zoom calls on every day of work. <laughs> I'm guessing maybe it does. I don't know. But how has your faith, the faith that you have, how has it at all, if at all, influenced your um, response? You know, just everyday response. It's not only a person, but someone who's running a company in this in our world. Yeah, I think. Um, well, it, it definitely influences me every day. Um, I hope that, you know, the way I speak, the way I act, the way I emote is part of being, you know, going through the Christian walk because, you know, I always think, you know, we didn't do anything to get our salvation, right? So we should figure out as we live how we can, you know, what is it in the Bible? Work it out or whatever you would know. Work out out our salvation. You know, we didn't do anything for it, so we should— So I I feel that um, God helps me be better in times of crisis than maybe some others that don't have that faith. Mm -hmm. Um, And I also feel that if I'm going through something that everybody else is going through, you know, it's my responsibility to lead, not to shrivel up in a corner. And um, I think that comes from 
from my faith. It yes. comes from my walk. It comes from all of my experiences. And I've learned that I can lead and um, I can, you know, kind of help guide people, Christian or non-Christian, through things like this because there's so much anxiety and fear and yeah. um, out there. Yes. There's so much. In our society, there's so much anxiety and fear. Right. I mean, there's more anxiety and fear in this society, and maybe it's just because I'm getting older and I sound like my mom or my right, grandparents right. or something, but but it's just, um, I think social media has amplified right. the isolation that people feel and the lack of real experiences that they go through, Christian or non-Christian. They're just right. not failing the same way that we were. We had to fail. Um, yeah. And I, I feel like it. it's a... I think it's our job as Christians to like, you know, minister to the extent that we can. And and I feel the same anxiety and fear that everyone does. And when I do, I know what I have to do. You know, I have to I have to spend time with God and get guidance. And it's almost like um for me it's throughout my life as a Christian, it's it's been like tuning into the frequency, you know. Yeah. It's a just it. a way and and asking God to use me to, you know, communicate with people in a way that gives them comfort, that helps them make better decisions, helps me make better decisions. And that's that's really, you know, been my walk. Mm-hmm. Uh, as imperfect as it is, it's pretty imperfect, but mm-hmm. um, that's how I've been responding. There have been nights after days of back 14 hour days of back to back you know zoom calls and looking at markets and talking with people and taking on all of that anxiety and fear that other people are mm. feeling where um the only thing i can do is just go to a quiet place right. and pray and read and try to get direction because mm. there there are a lot of things that i don't have the answers to mm. you know? and would you say if you just looking at 9-11 in the in the great Financial, however you dermed it, 2008. <laughs> the GFC. The GFC. <laughs> so let, I'll call it the GFC in 9-11, which you were, you were in this career, in this profession, and in a, in a position of leadership, positions of leadership. Would you say that however you're reacting today is different? I mean, are you responding different to this crisis in leading your company than you did even you know, in what you were doing in 2008 or 2001? A- absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think... Part of being a Christian, you know, and I, I have these simplistic ways of, of explaining things that are not that simple, I guess. But, you know, I think about my life as a Christian like a, a line graph mm-hmm. where, you know, the depths of it are less deep when I kind of, you know, all of us have times where we're not tuned into the frequency. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, I think my own, you know, God knows my own kind of, you know, weakness is I'm a control freak mm. and I am very self-determined about things. Mm. And I'm going to, and my timeline is I'm very impatient about, you know, the timeline of things. You know, I've learned to be more patient. I've learned that, you know, my line graph is my lows are less low and my peaks are higher as a Christian, meaning I feel like I've learned a lot more and I still go back, though. I still retrace, you know, to a certain extent. We all do as humans. Right. But I think my ability to deal with this is um, more maturity as a Christian. Right. Um, so that you can, you know, 
people around me have been panicking. Not not necessarily people I work with, but people that are clients, people right. that they've been panicking. Mm. And so to, to have a steady hand through that, a lot of that is because I've been through other crises and I've right. also allowed God to guide me through them. He, right. I don't believe that God puts us in things necessarily, but I think he's there to guide us out for right. a reason. Right. And so I've, it's taken me a while to figure that out, but I've, I've, and sometimes it takes real crisis to see it as clearly. Right. Yeah. I'm not so sure that what you just said in so many words um, about a presence, being a presence, someone who can guide, you know, keep their head above water, um, be, I don't know, a, 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 um, a calming presence, a, um, a, um, a ballast isn't the pure definition of good leadership and that maybe, you know, is tested in times like this. Mm-hmm. But what people are looking for, whether it's your kids, if you're a mom at home, or dad at home, or you're running a business or you're in a ministry or, or in a company, you know, is I think it's, it's instinctive for people to look up at their leader or leaders and say, tell me how bad this is. Right. Tell me if I need to um, you know, uh, crawl under the table. Do I need to, you know, uh, you know, close, uh, close in here or, or are, are, do we, are we okay here? Yeah. And I think uh, that God allows you to be kind of a super victor in that. Like yeah. you, you feel that, I mean, I feel, and as a Christian, I think we should feel that we should lead and get out there. And yeah. so I've been trying to do that through yeah. all of this. You know, I, Every day I pray about it, I think about how can I, what can I say that's going to be encouraging, not superficially, something superficial or something that something that's really meaningful to people that can help them get through another day or yeah. look to two years from now, look not the next two months or two minutes. Um, right. And that's kind of the, the, you know, the, the direction that I feel that I have to give to people. Mm. So. I know we're running down on time. A couple more questions. Let me ask one that I think will help people get to know you a little bit better. And I know some of the answer to the story, but I don't know all of it. And you, you can take as little time as you want. But when I, I, I know I've met your mom. I know she's a big player in your life still to this day. And I know a little bit of story about your dad. You've told me some of that story. Um, but when, when you think of, you, you, you mentioned just a minute ago, a little bit about yourself, you know, your you're, you're, I think you use the word controlling, so I, I'll let you say that. I wouldn't say that, but I mean, whatever. You, you, you have high standards, maybe, maybe is another way of saying that. But how has your personal story okay, shaped your professional life? Right? I mean, in other words, how does someone who experiences you, and let's say I'm a client or anybody, and I might experience some of what you were just saying a minute ago, how has that um, been born out of your personal story? Well, I'm somebody who, on the surface, comes from absolutely nothing, really, materially. Um, my mom, who you know, was a single mother. She, I'm a twin. I have a twin brother. She was divorced when my brother and I were six months old, and we moved in with our grandparents. And my grandfather was really my father figure, and he was a great father figure. And um, I talked a little bit about that publicly um, at the Business Hall of Fame event, which was um, very 
he was a very impactful person in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, my grandfather never said, I'm a Christian. Um, the interesting thing about my grandfather, though, is he had a library in our house in Gates. So ultimately, we ended up in Gates, New York. And I used to go in there and grab books. And he had a lot of very Christian books. And um, he was a guy that really lived. Um, he he was kind, he was strong, and he was principled. And uh, I remember he had books by Norman Vincent Peale. He had all these different mm. books in his library that that he would read. And he and I think that he influenced me in a lot of ways. And I became a Christian in my adult life. But um, my walk is um, coming from materially not much of anything. Um, uh, he encouraged me to to take chances, take risks. Um, he was a great parent, and so was my mother, um, from the standpoint that I was not taught that I could only be a certain, I could only do certain things. And so, long story short, I ended up in, on Wall Street in 1987, having no idea that I shouldn't be there. I was any different than anybody else, even though I ended up being one of three women in a class of 300 trainees or something like that. And then, mm. you know, two years later, there were very few people left and certainly no women. I didn't think that I was unusual or atypical because of how I was raised. I was raised to think if you worked hard and you were disciplined, um, you could basically do anything. And uh, he also was somebody who um, introduced me to a lot of the arts. And so as a child, I went to the Eastman School of Music after school almost every day. I was in piano and voice. I I actually had a, a very good voice, not good enough to make a living, but I thought I was going to end up you know, pursuing music as a career, which I did not. Um, all of those things, though, ended up impacting me as a professional. You know, the, the the way I was raised, the things that I was exposed to, the work ethic that I saw. Um, and I really became a Christian in my 20s. I don't, I don't remember when you did, but I remember— I was a, um, a, I was a freshman in college. Yeah. A few years. Not so, too different, yeah. Yeah, and it, it was when all of this—I had started to be—I to, was— very successful early on, you know, materially Mm. Um, to everyone's, you know, around me was shocked, you know, this woman, you know, there were no women and how is she doing this and how is she pulling rabbits out of her head or whatever. And I was just a really hard worker and I didn't see any boundaries. I didn't see any ceiling. I didn't, I just worked hard. And and fortunately I was in a numbers kind of business. So no one could really, the numbers didn't lie, you know, Either so, do what you're doing or you don't. Either do yeah. or don't. And it was the only metric. They couldn't really fire me. They couldn't do anything. And But I, I do know there was a lot of head scratching, and there are stories that I probably can't go into here, or things that were said to me and whatever. You know, mm. I was very unusual. Mm. Um, but, you know, in the end, I got to a point where all of it seemed kind of meaningless. Huh. It, it was like, okay, what else can I do here? Mm. You know, and I, I remember— you know, I think some people come to Christianity. I don't. I don't really know how other people come to it, but right. it was just very clear to me that mm. um, God was talking to me mm. for a long time, yeah. and I wasn't tuned in. Right. And when I did tune in, it kind of changed my life and my direction in terms of my 
inner peace and what I was able to do um, mm. for other people. Mm. Um, and it's also given me, you know, the courage that I have to do some of the things that I've done and, and the, the uh, self-determination to kind of keep going through the mm. worst of circumstances, mm. which happened way after, you know, my becoming a Christian. Right. Um, so I don't know if that answers your question. Well, let me, but. let me, it does. And, and uh, you know, you, you, I know I've heard some of your story, but I mean, I think what I heard you say is someone who um, grew up with um, uh, not a, not a, didn't grow up in a rich family. No. Did not have a lot of material success or um, certainly any sense of entitlement, right? I mean, was, no, no sense of entitlement. No, no, no. whatsoever, <laughs> right? Yeah. And, um, and I'm, I'm guessing that, that, um, some of the value system, some, as you say, you got from your, your grandfather and hard work and in intellectual curiosity, perhaps you mentioned, but also the sense that you, I like this too. It's interesting that you're one of the few women and I don't know, it's a whole other conversation, which we don't have time to, which is where are you on the whole, you know, what it means to be a woman in your industry. And that's a whole interesting conversation. We'll do another, we'll do another, we'll do one another one. That. Yeah. <laughs> but what I haven't heard you say, um, and is, you know, um, I deserve it. I deserve it. It's time. I th it's just like I did the hard work, and I and I am where I am. And I woke yeah. up one day on Wall Street in 1987, and uh, I didn't know I shouldn't be here. I love that. Yeah. No, you know, no clue. Yeah. I had, I never felt I, I, there was never a day where I felt like I really. So I went to Harvard University. I meant, didn't mention that I went to graduate school there. And when I got the acceptance letter, first of all, I couldn't believe it. And secondly, I think my whole first semester, I really thought it was an admissions error and they were going to pull me out in the middle of the night. Like, I've never been somebody who thought I deserved to be mm. anywhere, mm. honestly. And it's just, I, I look at my mom. My mom still works. She mm. works in my office. You know that. There's, yeah. there's something about, you know, coming from that yeah. um, that, that really has shaped yeah. me. Yeah, well, me too. It's the, I mean, I, I, as you know, some, yes. I, I'm a, from a single-parent household. And my mother was very much a, um, she never, you know, she never ever had that kind of speech of, you know, she worked her whole life and she had a good, you know, good spirit about it and took things as they came. And, and very much her message directly or indirectly was, you know, just go out there and make the most of your life. You know, it was never, um, yeah. she never was looking for anyone to do anything for her. And uh, I think that segues into, you know, the whole concept of wealth, though. And well, let me stop there. Right. Or, or, or no, because I, I, I know we're running out of time, but the one question I did want to ask you, because I think people want to, ask, want to know you. You know, those who don't know you um, will know you a little bit more now if they, if they Google you, and they'll know you're, 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 you're high fly and high finance. I'm having fun with you, but I mean, this is the world that you live in. And they would quickly find out that those who do know you, okay, which is some people listening here, probably have one vision of you, just like they may have me or anybody else, and that you're this sort of, you know, you work with people. You, I think you mentioned either before before we started the podcast or not, you know, six billion or whatever you said, right? When you're talking about your, your portfolio in an earlier time in your career. So people probably perceive you as, I don't know, you know, that you are someone who's, you know, the jet set or something. So I'm, my question to you is, what is your... You talked a lot about your faith. What's your personal philosophy of wealth? Here you are, you say, you started out with nothing, I mean, as a young person. And here you are, you know, living the life that you're living, running this great company. Learned a lot along the way. What, what, what's your, what do you say when someone says, Lori, what's your personal philosophy of wealth? Well, you know, 
I think that wealth is, um, it's, it's something that's God-given when you think about it, and people personify money a lot, and they personify wealth, and they use it as a yardstick and a metric. And to me, it doesn't have a darn thing to do with anything about me other than it's a, it can be a very powerful tool. Um, it can also be the thing that creates a lot of spiritual poverty, you know? Wow. In, in, my, in right. my profession, I have um, been mm. in front of many, many people with lots of money, and um, whether they're clients or not, I've navigated circles that, um, you know, are, are in some ways where people think they want to be. Um, and people with wealth can be some of the most unhappy people mm. that you've ever met. And, you know, when people say to me, I just, I just want to be happy, my usual response is there's a real difference between happiness and peacefulness, you know, mm. and happiness is temporal. It's like, you know, mm. today I might be happy right now and right. I might, you know, in another two hours not be so happy when I look at the markets, you know, right. but peacefulness is enduring and there's only right. one place to get that and mm. you don't get it from money. But right. um, wealth is um, wealth is a tool that can be the thing that, is so powerful in, in doing so many things that are great in the world. And there are a lot of examples of that, but it can also be something that people, it's like the, you know, you would know all of the passages in the Bible, right. um, and I certainly know some of them, right. but it's the camel through the eye of the needle, right. you know, because it, wealth, wealth gives you a sense of independence. Mm -hmm so much so that it's insular from it can be insular from god and so right. it's um it's something that um i've seen it over and over again where people with tremendous wealth are not people that um are very satisfied in mm. life mm. and they realize kind of what i did in my 20s which is what's the next thing the next right. thing is elusive right and then it's all going to go away right so i think that you know the, the last thing I would say about it is I'm in a profession that manages wealth. Right. We are financial advisors and we do advise, you know, I've been so, uh, somebody who at, at a point in my career before I went to independent, an independent model and started my own firm was um, advising on $6 billion then. Mm -hmm. um, I have somebody who, without getting into the story, it's mm -hmm. it's for some other time, yeah. but has, has, got, has made decisions and choices um, where um, I have lost a lot and had to rebuild. And mm -hmm. I realized that wealth can go away in a heartbeat. Right. You know, so I guess that's my philosophy is that, you know, there's personal responsibility, there's responsibility around um, maintaining people's livelihoods and lifestyles. And then there's that balance of what's the purpose of it. I always ask people, you know, beyond your sustenance, you know, let's say we have that solved. What's mm. the purpose of this? Yeah. You know, and that's a very personal question that we delve into a lot with people, mm. Christian or not. Do you, um, before we wrap up, do you, um, I, I, I think I know the answer to this, but I mean, do, do you cross lines instantly or, or often in your consulting, right? You're, you're, you're consulting people. Mm -hmm. you're, you have clients. Right. Um, 
do, do people talk to you about their personal lives? I guess is what I'm saying. Absolutely. I mean, of course, how could you not, right? Absolutely. But I mean, not only do they, obviously their money and their personal lives go together, but do you find it as, um, I'm sure you're winsome and you're not, you're, 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 you're thoughtful in your, in how you live your life and share your faith, but do you find yourself being part financial counselor and part, you know, counselor at times? Oh, it's all the time, yeah. you know, because these things are inextricably yeah. linked. Like yeah. wealth does not, someone's money doesn't live by itself outside of this whole ecosystem. Right. And that's, you know, someone's value system, their family, their philanthropy, all of the things that their business. So we're always navigating all of these issues. And a lot of um, what goes on in our world is related to human behavior and psychology and Spirituality. Spirituality. Yeah. yeah. So um, I'll give you the last word. And number one, will you come back and do this with me again? Yes, okay, I'd good. Love we to. got a lot it's of talk fun. about. I have a lot of interesting people that um, I didn't bring up. I mean, people that you know. Uh, I mean, you know, people from New York, but we'll do that another show, yeah, right? <laughs> but um, if you had a word to say to anyone listening, right? I mean, you're, you're, you're at least two things. You're a follower of Jesus, and you've been doing that for many years, and your husband, who I know, you're followers of Jesus, and you are a professional um, investment uh, money manager person, and money is your world. So whether you're an average Joe out there like me or others, you know, people who, 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 who are, um, just have you know, modest amounts of money or, or, or work, maybe they're even paycheck to paycheck, or you're very wealthy, I think everyone's having a little anxiety. Mm -hmm. So what's the, what word would you give, you know, about how to think about um, this moment relative to money anxiety? I'm not saying financial advice, but just, you know, personal advice. What would you, what's your word for folks who are listening? Yeah. um, I think that worrying about all of the things that you cannot control or know is um, really bad for your health. Yeah. It's good. <laughs> Spiritual health and physical health. And so I would say um you know, spend every day that you can doing things that you enjoy and you love and try to release the anxiety through if you're a Christian through prayer. Yeah. Um a lot of times I pray when I'm I didn't mention it but I'm, I'm a marathon runner. Um and I am that disciplined, control freak nature, and mm. I go out and run and pray. Do something you love and mm. move, and mm. um, you're not going to be able to solve these things right now. Right. But it will pass. And yeah. the other thing I would say about money is um, what I've found is that if you can help someone else, yeah. whether that's with your own resources, with your money or your time, whatever, that gets you out of your head. You know, that gets you out of your worries and your own anxieties because there are people that are really hurting. Mm. And so if you can spend your energy outwardly, yeah. it's uh, extremely helpful to you too. Oh. So I got one more and we're probably, okay. Dylan's going to tell me we need to cut all this. But <laughs> but if you'd say this moment, whatever it is, April 21st, whatever today is, you know, um, if you, how is God speaking to you in this moment? I don't mean this in this room, but I mean, at this season in your life? Is there a verse of scripture? Is it an idea? Is there, you know, and, and, and how would you say you've heard God speak to you in recent days? Um, well, it's interesting because I think when God actually speaks, it's um, 
it's very clear. Mm. It's it's very clear to me. And then there are times where I'm searching for to hear God clearer. And I know that the reason that I probably can't is that my frequency is really messed up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but lately, I, I think God is um, speaking to me and saying that you have you know, certain gifts that I've given you and you need to use these in other ways. Mm. And so that's what I'm kind of working on. Like, okay. how do I take what I've been given? And I've been in this you know, pretty rigorous industry for a long time, but mm-hmm. how do I take it and do God's work in a broader way? And mm. that's what I think he's telling me. Okay, good. Yeah. good. Well, that Maybe that's a good subject for another show. Yeah. Well, Lori, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. It's been a thrill. Um, let me just in case someone wants to know more about you, I don't want to say I mean lvw.com. Oh. Uh, lvwadvisors.com. Okay. Um, and uh, or they can just email me. It's lvandusen at lvwadvisors.com. Okay. And um, yeah, wow. you can find me pretty easily, wow. good or bad. <laughs> okay, good, awesome. So, so we, I uh, thank you for being here, and friends, look forward to talking with you soon on the next episode of Conversation. 